We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers made a big-time lineup and schematic change to their defense. And they do it amidst a tough weekend against OKC and Boston. Lakers split a pair of games, look really good against OKC, go up by as much as 26 in the third quarter, and then hold on for the nine-point victory. And then Lakers, <laughs> Lakers lose to the hated Celtics. Celtics go up 12 nothing to start the game. Mike, Lakers went to, like I said, both a lineup and schematic switch, going with Jared Vanderbilt instead of D'Angelo Russell. I'd love to hear what you know from talking to everybody about the, the thoughts behind that, and then just your thoughts on the games this weekend. Yeah, Pete, and happy holidays, Darius. Happy holidays. I think, first of all, Darvin Ham was pretty explicit about this change before it happened in OKC and essentially said that it's time to lean into the identity of the team that they think is the most easy or not most easy, that just the most practical to capture. And that's the defense. And so that to me is positive, just based on all the conversations that we've had this year about what the identity of the team is going to be and trying to figure out the right players to put around LeBron and AD. And now they've indexed pretty far in that direction by mm-hmm. basically moving not just D'Angelo Russell, but Austin Reeves earlier this year um, out of the starting lineup and putting Cam Reddish first and now Jared Vanderbilt in. And I wouldn't be surprised if at some point it ends up being Austin like that gets put into that group that uh, that just is kind of like the best five. Uh, but overall, to me, this felt like progress um, as, as the Lakers get through the biggest part of this slog of this month of December and all of the travel and all of the back to backs and all of the uh, just the in-season tournament and the hangover from it, all of that stuff. They do have one more difficult road trip left uh, back to back like at Minnesota, at New Orleans. But then it becomes this January period where the Lakers barely have to leave Los Angeles uh, and definitely don't have to leave the Pacific time zone until the very end um, of the month. So 
progress I thought played some pretty good basketball against good teams still have some work to do still need to optimize the lineups but they're getting there and I think that they have at least shown um, through the games at Minnesota at OKC and then home against Boston that you know they're they're a real team and the the run that they made last year had there were some tenets of that that can be built upon that they started to show, to show here even though when you just look at the standings and it's wait 16 and 15 in ninth place you know that that doesn't look great and it, especially with LeBron and AD healthy for most of it. But Mm -hmm. there are reasons why. And I think that they're starting to get closer. Yeah, I think there's a zoom out and there's a zoom in here. I like the idea of trying to leverage the strengths of the team. LeBron, almost every chance he gets in an interview, will talk about like the team's length and Mm -hmm. like what they can do when they're a bigger team. And this shift goes towards that. It's a very like 2019, 2020 model, except there's no like Danny Green and KCP in this group. I guess Prince is the closest to like a Danny Green type, but there's not a there's not a guard, I would say, right, where you're like, oh, yeah, look, this guy is going to run deep corner and shoot threes and just sort of be a classic three and D guy. And no classic center either with, you know, McGee or Dwight. Sure. As AD is put on a little bit more weight and steeled himself to play more center. I think he's become more of that. And I would look at him more as a five, four now than a four, five that he was during the run to the championship. But that's a good point there. It's sort of interesting to me. I had mentioned this to you on the text thread, Pete, but it's just like um, the last time the Lakers made a lineup change was right after Darvin Ham was pretty defiant against making a lineup change. Like he got asked about changing the lineup um, before Austin went to, to the bench and he was just like, oh, you know, and he used similar language to what he used in advance of the OKC game, which was like, well, you know, we try not to change this stuff and we want to give these groups a chance. And I think that this is a pretty big swing in one direction and it might be too big of a swing Mm -hmm. in that direction so i'm sort of where mike is in that i think that it's a positive step forward it's also maybe too big of a step forward in order to maintain your balance yeah like like in the proper way i think there's a lot of good stuff that can come of this and there's good ideas behind it i'm just not sure if it's the exact right idea if that makes sense yeah i think the the place to start is that whenever a coach basically scraps their theory of how to play, like of how they want a starting lineup to play. I, the night, the day that uh, we made the switch from D'Lo to Vando in the starting lineup, I must've gotten half a dozen texts that were like, why not Austin? And the, I have some reasons for, I think, why, why not Austin? But that is, if you want to play the same style of basketball, the move you go to is Austin, right? Austin for D'Lo. You, they're very similar type of players. But going to Vando completely different type of player on both ends of the floor than D'Lo. And so I think that, you know, our last pod of last week was the title was off track. And that was a lot of the premise was like, we actually have a pretty good sample size with LeBron and AD healthy of us playing a certain style of ball. And it's just not that yeah. good. And that it was time to scrap it. That's kind of the implicit uh, end of the sentence that that is left unsaid, right? Is that it's time to try something else. And so the fact that that aligned with where Darvin Ham went now, in terms of the, what of that, I agree. I think it's too big of a dial turn. I think there are some obvious questions about this offensive spacing with that starting group that we saw uh we saw play out especially at the start of the Boston game but I want to talk about the defense because 
Like OKC had a 39 point first quarter. It was and they had, I think, 120 for the game. Boston got everything they wanted. They had 32 in the first like seven plus minutes of that first quarter. And I think it's important to acknowledge that the scheme change within that, right? And this is something that I don't think is necessary, but the Lakers have switched to a a, a switching style on offense, Mike. And that's something that AD made some comments yesterday about how they were there were some miscommunications and they're trying to get on the same page with that. But I want to discuss that in terms of what you guys brought up in terms of finding the team's identity is that switching is a passive defense. Switching is a containment. I'm trying to keep you in front of me type of defense. And so the advantage of that is that you don't get as much in terms of guys going downhill on you. You can neutralize the offense's screen game a little bit. But one of the weaknesses of that is that you allow the other team to pick the one-on-one matchup that they get. And so against OKC, for example, that's Shea Gilgis-Alexander. That's a bad dude that's if he's being able to pick one whoever he wants out of the five guys that you have on the floor, like there's no version of any team that's got five guys that can credibly stay in front of Shea, right? And there's it's similar with Boston, although Porzingis is their big switchbuster, and he really gave Torian Prince and Cam Reddish some issues on some deep post seals on switches, right? But by the very nature of switching, by letting the other team pick, Mike, who they want to pick on, you're letting them dictate the terms. And so I would love, love to see them go to this lineup and then just run the same defense that they were running. And you can press up a bit, right? But you're not going to force that many stocks and, uh, you know, steals and blocks and ball pressure in a switching style because you're allowing the other team to pick which guy to go against. And so the times in the Boston game that it worked was actually after they subbed uh, Tatum out was at the end of the first quarter, we went on a great defensive run and we were still switching, but with less defensive talent because it's got Dilo in the game now and Austin, right? But it's working more because they don't have as many shot creators on offense. That's when teams normally switch, guys, is, is like in those second units. Very few starting lineups switch because that's usually when your best two, three scorers are in the game and they just get their their choice, Mike, of whoever whatever mismatch they want to exploit. And so seeing us go to a passive style right as we go big, it's like, actually, no, it's the the thing that's worked for us is being big and attacking and aggressive. And so that's one thing that I'm really concerned about with this, with this switch along with on offense, like there's going to be, yeah, I, I don't see how it works offensively. Yeah. So some of the personnel groupings, I think are at least more in line with what the team should be as an identity, but the style now is not there yet. And that right. would be maybe the simplified way of looking at it. So they're they're throwing out these this defensive lineup, but then switching to me, like you said, Pete, is usually more of a changeup within the course of a game and something you can throw on a team to just uh to just kind of halt what they're doing in, in a different way from what a zone does. Uh, because then there's once you've been used to playing the traditional style that you start with and w- which would be AD in a drop and a coverage that works great. Or, or if it's a team that has a great guard, like your AD up in a trap, that's something else that works great. Like the Lakers defense was actually, you know, pretty good right. for the last couple of weeks with Anthony Davis anchoring things and them, you know, being aggressive. And we certainly saw that in the in-season tournament games when they ramped things up. So I, I was just looking at the blocks from last game. Like Boston had seven and the Lakers had one and right. AD did have the block. But AD's blocks, like the previous game at OKC, he only had two blocks and those are both on kind of like ridiculous individual plays. So it's taking him a little bit out of the rim area, and yet he can stifle things on the perimeter. But 
it didn't seem that the the collective was doing that as much with just as you said the passive switching so I don't know the thinking behind that specific part of it. Like that's something that I can ask Darwin before the next game. Like, Hey, if you're, you're going this big, then why the switching, you know, versus just staying in the drop and, and why so much switching, I think to the point was where I was going to do a sideline report. And I texted you guys and I was like, cause sometimes the monitor is a little bit easier to pick up shifts and schemes than when I'm right there mm-hmm. courtside. Um, and I, and I can see the action really well, but I, I don't have it as, as wide of a view. And I'll be like, Hey, do they, are they still switching as much? And you guys are like, yep, they're still, still switching. And it just, that coverage just seemed to stick. And, and that's the part uh, to me that is curious, but it's, it's also where I was going with my first comments today of they're they're making steps, but it's not there yet. And there's a part of that that is, I don't want to say frustrating, but it's it's like there there should maybe maybe I'll I'll say it this way by these this January stretch. Hopefully, all of this stuff is figured out. Of what's the best lineup? What's the best system within that lineup? What's the best strategy within it? Whether it's mm-hmm. switching as a start or or later, and that's the part where it's not quite there yet. But there, the team is starting to go in one direction. I think at least. Let's go to break here because um, I want to talk a little bit about dissonance and all of this change. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Pete, it's interesting. And we, we've been framing a lot of this through this idea of like defense, 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 defense. And making a change like this, I think it does lean into the idea of what the Lakers can be on defense. I think you're right. That um, I've been calling the switching like passive because it's not even an aggressive switch. It's right. more like a handoff. Um, there's a style of switching where you are like jumping up into the level of the screen and basically trying to sort of like shock the ball handler where you're like, oh, I am picking you up and I am sort of like engaging you in in a way the way that you would play in two man game with at the level of the ball where you're actually trying to like trap a guy and like make the ball handler a little bit uncomfortable in order to allow the switch to then settle in and you have that that's and and you have that momentum that's not what the lakers are doing the lakers are playing well under the level of the ball and that is also what's leading to some of these miscommunications where it's just like well you haven't actually switched yet so are we switching because you mm-hmm. haven't engaged the ball enough and there have been a couple of times and 
when that's the case, off the ball, guys are still sort of used to playing this helping style. And so D'Lo, for example, got caught a couple of times getting sucked a little bit too far in on helping on cuts and stuff that are happening. But those cuts actually shouldn't be there if you are engaging the switch properly, because if a guy comes up to set a pick and roll and you're just switching properly, though, like the the role man shouldn't get too big of a step where you have to like sink from all of these other spots on the floor in in order to help. But D'Lo gave up a couple of jumpers. But I want to get back to the point I was actually going to make. We talk about defense, 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 defense. The Lakers heading into the Boston game were eighth in defense. And they were not eighth in offense. No, no, they were not. Right? And so this idea of like leaning into your strengths, I get it. Let's make our strengths even stronger. But there's an argument to be made that's just like, okay, well, can we can we make changes defensively that allow us to play to our strengths defensively while also not hamstringing us Mm -hmm. offensively potentially in all of these ways? Because it's actually on offense where the team has not been as good as their talent level would suggest that they should be. And maybe that's going to be the case now with Christian Wood out of the lineup where he projected to be this like this influx of offensive potential as a bench player. And maybe that's not going to be the case if you're moving Austin Reeves to to the bench or Rui isn't playing as big of a role as what he might have been projected to be before the season. But offensively, it feels like, okay, well, yeah, defense, defense, defense. And I get that. But how do you feel like this lineup change is impacting both sides of the floor, Pete? I mean, this is something that is part of the reason why I was lukewarm on Vando in the starting lineup uh, in our offseason talks is the impact that he has on LeBron and AD in this respect, in that just Boston, for example, put uh, Porzingis on him, quote unquote, and that basically just allows him to be a roamer. And so part of that 12-0 start was contested shots around the rim by Porzingis. Uh, We came out of a timeout. He blocked a, a reverse layup from LeBron where... And then and then we're like posting up AD and everybody's just pinching a little bit more off of it. And so there's that's part of why, like, I don't think you need both Vando and Cam in the starting lineup at the same time. But yeah, the offensive spacing is the obvious thing, Mike, right, about that group. And I think that there is some value in a, a style of phone booth basketball where the way that we were most productive with that group, which was wasn't much at all. We didn't score for the first three minutes. But when we did start getting points, it was on a lot of putbacks and second wave type of things where it's like there's like seven, eight bodies in the paint, but just the math kind of runs out where a, a bigger player and Anthony Davis is is one of them, right? And so Cam drives right at Porzingis's chest and Porzingis gets a great contest up, but he kind of washes Porzingis out of the play and it's an easy putback because Derek White's doing his best to box out Anthony Davis and it just, it doesn't work. And so that is there's some creative things you can do with that, Mike, but it's it's super unconventional. And on both sides of the floor, again, the switching with your starters, going big with your more aggressive guys, and then going to a more passive defensive style. And then the offensive spacing, like this has been something that's driven me crazy the last few years with the Lakers is we've done so many things that are so unconventional. And just this lineup, this lineup shift, both does that with the starters and the bench unit, Mike. And so I don't know. Well, this is the this is why I was hinting at that idea of Austin in in this in this way would be in place of Cam. Although you know you could also do it in place of Vanderbilt, but 
if you are starting out with Austin and that removes the ability at least somewhat. Now, Persingas could still, in this case, be on Vanderbilt, but you can, if, if it's Austin instead of Cam, then the rest of the defense is in more jeopardy, you know, and oh, yeah. you can sort of attack on either side of the floor as a secondary creator. And that, I think, also relieves some some of that push that LeBron has to do. And I think that two, there's so many things to talk about here. So Austin starting one. I'm I'm going to sidetrack myself intentionally here to LeBron, though, because LeBron, after having to push that hard for the OKC win, and then even just an earlier game, like a 2 p.m. game instead of a 7 p.m. game, means that LeBron has to ramp things up earlier, and that makes a difference in year 21. And that kind of thing goes away some in the playoffs, but the the intense nature of every game does not. And therefore, everything else really has to be clicking because Boston with Tatum and Brown and like at their ages and then even going down to Holiday and White and Porzingis aren't going to have that same issue like of the year 21. So you're it's like on the one hand, you're in theory lightening the load on LeBron defensively with some of these groups. And that's where I wonder how much of the switching does LeBron want to do that some, uh, especially early because it is a little bit more passive? Is that part of the push? And if so, then I'm almost always going to understand and want to defer to LeBron thinking his way through a season. But if you start Austin, then you can just have him and especially if Vanderbilt's in there being pushing up and being aggressive and forcing stuff towards AD and then bring Reddish in and then still have another unit where Reddish can replicate some of what Vanderbilt can do. And right. then you're keeping that the personnel just seems to fit there. So it's like start out in the uh, in the drop and then get to a switch or a, or, or a trap, you know, as it goes on, Darius. Yeah, it's funny because uh, before we started recording, uh, Mike was pumping up a soccer ball and he was pumping it up for his twins who were going to be outside. And when you were talking right there, Mike, it made me think of of Darwin basically playing twins, but. In his lineups, it's just like, hey, you know what? I'm bringing in twins with Vando and Cam, and they're going to be my twin defenders. And I'm going to twins on my bench with Austin and D'Lo, and they're going to be my offensive twins off of the bench. But you don't get the value of that if you let the other team pick which guy they're going to attack. Like, if Vando's in the game, I want him guarding the guy with the ball, right? Same thing with with Cam for the most part, right? And so by switching, you actually hamstring the thing that you could be really good at with that group. And both LeBron and AD mentioned Porzingis uh, defending Vanderbilt. And I think the reason mm-hmm. they did that is because even though the Lakers got some shots that they could have made, they were contested shots uh, in the first couple of minutes because Porzingis was coming over to help on AD and just being there to gunk things up in general. Same thing with LeBron. And, I, you know, that that's just going to be a factor. It was awful. There was stuff in the Boston game where I was just like, oh, you know what? I don't want to call it a game plan loss because it wasn't. But there were like if this was a playoff series, Boston is clearly like the better team right now. But I will say there's a bunch of stuff from this Boston game where I'm just like, hey, if you tweak X, Y and Z with this, Mm -hmm. even with the same exact group playing the same exact style with these same exact lineups, all of that. If you just switch a couple of different things, I'm just like, I like some of this better. Like, even at the start of the game, I would have liked to have seen Vando against Tatum. Because, and that's the whole, like, the whole, what we've seen this team be good at in terms of identity. It's that that size and impressiveness on the perimeter. Tatum has an, a size and athleticism advantage over Cam, especially size, right? And he got a couple of attempts uh, at the free throw line and got a nice layup out of just kind of bodying Cam, which is he why you have him. Cam guard the smaller guy in Jalen Brown, right? And then, yes. but he's not going to be able to do that to uh, to Vando. And so that's one of those things too, where they were like, "Oh, we don't need to switch this. We actually like this matchup." Yeah, and Brown's quickness 
was just a little bit much for like this version of Vando. Mm -hmm. He got him off balance a couple of different times and moving really hard in one direction. And then he snatched back his dribble and Cam is just quicker like in those ways. And so it seemed like there was just a little bit of like tweaking that needed to happen there. The point I was going to make about a switching defense too and like the passiveness is that a lot of times when you switch your big man ends up in random spots of the floor in which he's not going to be able to help as often. And so there were plenty of times where AD was helping. He was like top man help. And so he's showing at the nail and like trying to reach in to bother on drives. And Boston's whole attack is driving, kick, driving, kick. And so if AD isn't the guy that's at the paint, that's allowing defenders to stay home with their shooters a little bit more those driving kicks become way yeah. more effective because the weak side wings are getting pulled off in order to then help at the rim because it's not ad that's there and then it's like swing swing and it's a wide right, open so you three. need more help right yes yeah. and so the lakers i thought dodge some bullets with some of the shots that Boston missed as well. Now, some of that was because their defensive pressure had picked up enough in the middle part of the game where it's just like Boston was no longer in rhythm. They started that game in a wonderful rhythm and, and it just carried over and carried over. But once the Lakers started to impose some of their own like defensive fortitude and Boston's lineups got a little bit worse offensively, it was like it all kind of shifted back. Well, also, we got better offensively too. a lot of their offense was coming off of early offense, like yep. either transition or, you know, you Lakers don't have their defense set because they got a crap shot <laughs> up that, you know what I'm saying? And Boston attacked that earlier. That's part of how they go about it. Let's take a break. Uh, when I come back, I actually want to talk about the offensive end of the floor. Now, it's certainly not all doom and gloom, a one-on-one -on -one versus a uh, OKC in Boston is certainly uh, is solid. And I think a big part of that was Lakers offense, paradoxically, right? That was uh, Lakers shot very well. We go to this starting lineup with very little spacing and Lakers shoot very well over the course of two games. I have loved what we're doing with Anthony Davis in the post. I think that what we're doing right now has probably been the most productive AD post-ups um, since he's been a Laker. He's been absolutely incredible. The emergence of just even just the mid-range jumper has been just added an element that's started uh, putting his point totals into the threes. And now he had a 40-point game against Boston. It was just unbelievable, Mike. And in the OKC game, we did a lot of cool stuff of guys sweeping the baseline and Rui and Cam had seven assists. That was the season high the Lakers had an assist, Mike. And so I'm curious, just your thoughts and kind of what you've heard from everybody about AD post-ups. There was a game against Chicago recently where he had like 15 shots and it was like the one time we went to we went away from the double teams, right? Because Billy Donovan, like you always say, Mike likes to throw the kitchen sink at him. Um, but the Lakers started getting buckets out of that against OKC. So it was just a, a little thing that I thought we've made progress on that I think is really going to be a big part of our offense going forward is AD in the post. So what are your thoughts? What, is, what are the guys saying around the team? Well, just the irony behind it is that AD in the post, of course, has been amazing. And he's also just been drilling everything from the perimeter, which is what you've been asking for all season, right? And yet you started uh, with AD in the post because it's all working right now. Uh, AD... AD is currently 18th in the NBA uh, in scoring, and that's while having fewer field goal attempts than anybody that is in the top 26 uh, of the of in terms of wow. attempts. 
Uh, and of that group, in fact, you can even you can push it further to yeah number twenty eight. He has the second highest field goal percentage. Uh, so only Giannis, who's shooting sixty percent this year, uh, with you know basically just just dunking everything and finishing everything at the rim. Everybody else, and that includes and B, that includes Jokic, you know, that includes uh, a, a whole host of scores. So AD's scoring level and efficiency has been absolutely elite while he's leading the league in rebounding. Um, he's now number one ahead of Jokic, and he's fifth in blocks. And so it's he's just he's been fantastic. He should be an also uh, an All Star starter. Right now, I think he's all NBA first team. the The question is if if, if it's Jokic and if it's Embiid, and then that third front court spot becomes tough, right? And so, but at worst, all NBA second team. So he's just been dominant. But what is they doing Mike? differently? It's positionless yeah. all NBA. Oh, right. So it's just like put five when centers I'm, on there for all I care. It's just like get our guy in there. Yes, thank you. Uh, so it's it's a. I think is it All Star where they're still doing yeah front court and back court, but yeah, then all NBA is positionless. So he's just. He's 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 able to do everything well um, right now on offense. He's got confidence like he's he's taking guys off the dribble. There was one play that would never show up that people probably forget about, but he got a rebound. And then Derek White, who is a great player, is really emerged. White always tries to to swipe the ball in some way or form. And AD just casually saw him over his shoulder and still a little crossover on the ground, you know, in the backcourt while bringing it up in transition. Like that's not the kind of thing that you see somebody that has the skill set that AD has can usually do. And it's just another thing that I appreciate about him that he's he's got that handle and that court awareness uh, to know what's going on around him. So as I gush about AD, um, Darius, maybe maybe I can go to you to answer Pete's question a little more specifically about what's been working off out of these post-ups and in just in general how how efficient he's being well part of the reasons why he can post up is that he is showing all three levels of his game again last 10 games he's taking 16 threes to put that in context he's played in 29 games and taking 27 threes overall so 16 of those 27 have come in the last 10 games how many do you think he's hit of those 16 quiz time Ooh. Seven of them? How about you, Mike? Nine. Right in the middle, eight. So he is 50% on threes (laughs) over his last 10 games. And he had a play where he drove a closeout. I think it was against Minnesota, against Gobert. But he he drove a closeout, and I think he got fouled at the basket or, or he scored. But you were like, in the text thread, you had said something like, the only way AD even gets that basket this game is if he had been shooting yeah, and making his job in the first place. Yes. Right. right. And so him playing this way offensively from the perimeter, then opens up his post game in a way where it's just like, he's always been such a rhythm player that yes, he he's going to be able to score from, from the post, but the jumper being such a a pivotal part of his overall game now or him reincorporating it in into his game also means it's like he's taking it out of the post more too i think his second or third basket against porzingis was a back down into a turnaround baseline jumper in which porzingis got a good contest but ad just hit the shot and ad Earlier this season, it was almost all power, 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 like jump hook or drop step into a layup or him really trying to maneuver his way around the paint to get closer. And now 
Adding the jumper back into his game means that it's like the post-ups are going to be even that much more effective. And the part that we haven't talked about at all is his passing. And so like he is turning and facing. And when the doubles are coming, he's seeing them and he is like eyeing the skip. And so the Lakers are being better on AD post-ups as well about like where the help is coming from and how to leverage that help um, against OKC, they cut Cam along the baseline and then ran a second wave cut with LeBron from the top of the floor. So AD is in the post. He turns and faces and then Cam hits that rip cut along the baseline. AD hits him and then Cam shovels off to LeBron and LeBron gets a dunk. And it's like that intentionality is going to matter even more, too, with AD's post-up. So I just like the overall shape of the offense with AD doing what he's doing. If they can then incorporate the guards a little bit more to find their rhythm within this, then they'll be cooking with fire, I feel like. These are circumstances where that that intentionality that you're talking about, I think is an opportunity to unlock Cam. And so Cam in the dunker spot is specifically something that stood out to me in uh and just like sweeping the baseline. We saw Rui do this too. He had some conversions, also missed a couple dunks in the OKC game doing this, but one of the ways that you beat a zone or and what what happens when AD gets trapped is the other three, there's a four on three elsewhere, right? And that's one of the things when we talk about advantage creation, like if you're getting double teamed, you've created advantage. Now you just got to find the four on three. And so the way that defense has approached that since they're at a disadvantage is the other three guys zone up. So they're in a zone, even if the two guys on the ball are, uh, you know, are trapping in, in a man, man type of concepts. And so one of the things that beats zone principles defensively are overloads. And so what, what we're doing is we're having AD post up. It's not like on the block, right? It's, he's not like five feet from the basket. He's like probably 12 to 15 feet normally when he gets the catch. And that guy from the weak side dunker spot is coming back to the strong side. And one of the things I'm excited about with Cam doing this is that he can finish that shot right there. And he's just like a... <laughs> He's a high volume finisher just over the course of his life in terms of like when he's around the basket and he's got the capability to double clutch and, you know, navigate around a, a help defender and but also capable of making that pass. And so that combo play that you were talking about, D, where it was like, OK, AD's got the ball. Cam's going to sneak along the baseline into the strong side dunker spot. AD passes it to him. Then LeBron cuts from the top of the key and that you've got one defender basically defending two while a guy on the weak side's trying to cut in into LeBron's way, right? And so Cam is capable of finishing that play or dump, dumping that off to LeBron, which he did for that dunk. And then we ran the same play the next play and LeBron got free throws. And so that station to station style of play is one of the things I was really excited about, about five out style basketball. And so in both the strange lineups <laughs> of the starters where I think we could play this phone booth style of basketball, but also uh, later with the post-ups, I think that this style of ball, Mike, is is something that we can build off of even in the unconventional type of forms while also agreeing that at some point we're probably going to have to get back to a skill guard in a lot of those lineups. Right. And then... So as this is all happening, and this is a lot about the the strategy and the lineup and the rotations and, and just the way that they're going to play, you know, I'm I'm looking at this schedule more directly now. And so Charlotte is one thing coming in, but then the two tough games, Minnesota and New Orleans, 
And then finally, the relief of just being at home counts. But, you know, the teams that are coming in can all play. So it's Miami, then it's Memphis, then it's the Clippers, then it's the Raptors. Uh, then you, know, you start to get into the Suns, the one road game at Utah. So those are all teams that can play. But it's, there also isn't one of those games that you think, well, the Lakers can't win that game. Uh, and, and that even includes the Christmas Day game against Boston, who is clearly playing better basketball right now and is much more cohesive just in terms of they're playing the same way every night. It's the same lineup. Guys know what they're doing. Like that's all of what you just you guys just talked about in, in a lot of those ideas, I think, is it would be great if the Lakers have those answers. And I also think it's a little bit more difficult with LeBron in year 21 to have that level of consistency um, with what the groups are doing. But at least if you can have that uh, be be stable um, around it. And I'm not saying that you have to pick away and go with it for sure, because they do. They don't have necessarily the perfect fits um, like maybe a Boston does. That's just obvious. Yeah, this this is the group that should start. And and that's maybe that's the challenge. And that's why I think every month there seems to be some different uh, conversation to bring into it. But we probably also should mention the Gabe Vincent thing. Uh, the Lakers have not made an announcement as to what's going to happen, but it does seem like he's going to be out for a while. And and that maybe you know, while it's certainly a bad thing for the Lakers, maybe it can also in the short term clarify you know what the best groups are and just knowing that he's not going to be able to be there and be part of that second unit. Well, I'm glad you brought up Gabe. There's a longer term discussion to be had for sure around what the best shape of the team is going to be from a starting standpoint and from a middle of the game portion and then what the closing lineup looks like. To me, it's super interesting that the Lakers would start the way that they start but consistently close the way that they close but never necessarily connect those two groups as being like, well, why aren't we trying to start closer to the way that we close? And I don't know if that's just a, well, we want to impose our identity in this way to start the game, but wouldn't you also want that identity to be a through line through the close of the game? And these are open questions that I have, Pete, because the Lakers are clearly leaning into lineups with Austin, AD, and LeBron to close games. Prince is almost cemented himself as one of those guys, particularly as the way that he's shooting. And just shout out again to Prince. It's like every other pod, it's a shout out to Torian Prince, but he's found his way and it's super important that he's found his way. He has been that complimentary shooter to LeBron and AD that the team has really needed. Um, and he's competing enough defensively that he's like a staple within these groups. The thing that stood out to me from the Boston game was like, the shot quality that Rui was getting, but unable to knock down, sort of highlighted that idea of like, oh, another shooting forward would be great if that guy could like defend and rebound a little bit. And those guys are hard to find, too. And so I get it. That was sort of the missing piece to me within all of those groups. It was like, okay, well, who can make this specific style of defense pay that Boston was playing? And I had messaged you guys during the game that it's just like, this shot quality that Rui's getting is amazing. And this would solve some of those issues of LeBron having like Porzingis breathing down his neck on these post-ups as a help defender and helping on his drives. Well, those aren't going to be there every single time if instead of going 0 for 7 to start the game, Rui is 3 for 7 or 4 for 7. And on the shot quality he was getting, he easily could have been 3 or 7 or 4 for 7. And so... 
that's not to say the Lakers win that game, but it's just like these are the ins and outs that happen within a single contest when you zoom in. And then when you zoom out, it's just like, okay, well, how do the puzzle pieces fit together? And I think there's still answers out there that and the Lakers are maneuvering their way towards them. But I don't think they found them all yet, Pete. No, and they made a big change, right? Like they kind of broke up the puzzle that they were starting with and went started building a new one in a lot of ways a big change in in the lineup in in the scheme and just uh Lakers searching for answers fall to 16 and 15 we've got uh Charlotte on Thursday so we'll be back either tomorrow or on Thursday next uh but until then you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast we'll catch you guys next time James has got it in low to McHale McHale wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by Worthy tips to Magic Worthy dies on his belly Magic scores and Magic got it Magic fires again, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Three seconds left. Bat next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.